of Acts. It's a short section, and a very it'll, it'll be interesting here this morning. So, so let's let's open our our passage to uh, Acts chapter fifteen, verses thirty six through forty one. It says this. I'll be reading from the NET. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas. Let's return and visit the brothers in every town where we proclaimed the word of the Lord to see how they're doing. Well, Barnabas wanted to bring John called Mark along with them too. But Paul insisted that they should not take along this one who left them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in the work. They had a sharp disagreement so that they parted company. Barnabas took along Mark and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and set out. Commanded, commended to the grace of the Lord by the brothers and sisters. He passed through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Jesus, we thank you that you are the God of all. You are the Lord above lords. You are the King above kings. You are the God over all gods. You are the God most high. And Lord, we come before you this morning seeking your counsel and seeking your direction in our lives and in our faith. And God, we pray right now for a, just Lord, the spirit of grace to come over us. Lord, your Holy Spirit to permeate our hearts and our minds that we may encounter your word in a new and a fresh way. And uh, Lord, that you would show us your, your heart and show us your desire for your church and for brothers and sisters to live in peace and unity together uh, through the bonds of love, through the bonds of your spirit and the bonds of grace and faith. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had a, uh, a time when um, you felt that there was division happening or conflict. Anyone had conflict in the church? Anyone had conflict in their lives and their friendships or their families? Right? Oh, I'm sure none of us. We just lived happy lives, right, all the time. Now, you know, if we live, if we've learned one thing, life is a life of conflict, differences of opinion. Now, there was, you know, when I was in college or in high school, I had a friend in in high school, and uh, we were we were growing and hanging out together and stuff. And but then it just it, I I refused to date her. I didn't feel attracted to her. I didn't feel a relational connection to this girl. But she had gotten close and, and hung out with my family several times. And it felt like she was trying to divide me from my family. Whether or not she really was, it felt like that. And so I had a conversation with, with my mom and my dad and stuff. And, and uh, I felt it was like feeling this disconnection, feeling, feeling the spirit of division wanting to enter into our household. And not, not wanting to let it, not wanting to allow it. And so... Um, with this, with this friend, I, you know, we kind of had the DTR of the, we're not together. We're not dating. We'll probably, well, we'll never date, uh, especially now. Um, <laughs> and so, but it was the, this, I had to wrestle with, this is someone who Jesus loves. This is someone who I loved as a friend, but it's not for, not good for us to be friends. It's not good for us to continue to have a friendship relationship in this capacity, because she can't see me other than the, through the eyes of attraction, and I can't see her through the eyes of someone who you know, is not divisive. But I want to send her away so that we can leave our relationship, our friendship, as sister, brother and sister in Christ, healthy and intact. 
blessing her as she goes and receiving blessing in return as I go. And so we've, we've seen these, these avenues of conflict in our lives. And we see how people deal with them badly. And we might have been those people that dealt with them badly, right? Um, and so, it's, so is there a grace for loving and leaving? And I think this passage shows us a few of these, this, these avenues that we can take into our lives personally, through, in our families, and in our church, and our relationship with the local church as well. Um, <coughs> but so the, cons- the main point this morning is loving and leaving one another in the midst of disagreement and detachment. Loving and leaving one another in the midst of disagreement and detachment. That's going to you have your, your, your paper with you this morning. So that's what I want to focus on this morning. How do we love one another in the midst of disagreement and detachment, but also have the grace to leave and part ways with one another in the midst of disagreement and detachment, but remembering that first word, in the spirit of love, in a spirit of grace, in a spirit of blessing. Because we, the, the worst ways to leave, leave something or someone or a relationship or a church, or a conflict, or a family reunion, or Thanksgiving that's coming up, is angry. I even had a circumstance a while back where we were in, we were in a meeting together of some of some pastors, and one of the pastors got offended and was telling someone about how they were offended, and the one guy was packing up his stuff to leave, and we're like, no, don't leave. What are you doing? Like, we're not. We're having a disagreement, but we need to come together in unity and in love. Um. So we, that's, one, that's the main point this morning, is learning how to love one another and leave one another in the midst of disagreement and detachment. So let's look at our passage here this morning. When desires clash, because this is where conflicts start, right? It even says in the scripture, like you argue and you fight and you have conflict because why? Your desires are wrestling against each other in the scripture, right? So what is the disagreement? Where, where are the desires clashing? We'll look at Paul and Barnabas. Their desires, their goals, and their visions are clashing here. Neither of their plans necessarily are evil. Neither of them. They're neither sinful, nor, nor evil, nor bad in and of themselves. Paul's desire to go to Galatia to revisit the churches they planted and equipped and then suffered greatly for was a good desire, right? Good desire. Barnabas's desire to take John Mark was also good. But Paul did not want John Mark to go. Why? So here's where the conflict gets gets started. Paul doesn't want to take John Mark. Now, who's John Mark? We may have talked about this guy a little bit before. Um, But Mark is the cousin of Barnabas, but he's also... The, there was also the house, the kataluma, the upper room that they stayed in for the Passover. It was, his, it was his house. He's also the author of the book of Mark. And he's also the one that he writes in the book of Mark that, you know, they were wrestling with one of the guards and the guard grabbed his clothes and he ran away naked. It was his way of writing himself in. That's what scholars believe. So it's kind of fun. I would not necessarily want to be known as that guy in the Bible, but hey, all power, more power to Mark, right? But, but here's, here's maybe some, some thoughts. So Paul had suffered greatly in his first gospel journey. And in, in comparison to John Mark, you know, there may have been some bitterness. 
Because even the word that it says over here, so the word that he, that he uses um, in, what, where's that verse here? Um, in verse 38, he had not, I'm sorry, he la, 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 wanted to bring John Mark along with them too, but Paul insisted that they should not take this one who had left them. Now, there's other translations like yours that say, that says, uh, what is that, deserted. So there, there's a, a nuance in this word where it's like ran away, fled, deserted them, not just did not go up with them or, or had left them, but had left them in a way that was kind of tearing himself apart from them. And so some scholar, you know, many of the scholars believe that it was like a, a deserting. He was afraid maybe to go to Galatia and for good reason, because what happened to Paul? We can see what happened to Paul, right? And so we, we see this disagreement here. But even thinking in, in Paul's mind, because he wrestled with people in, in Galatia, he argued with the people in the synagogues. He even, you know, there, was, there were riots, and then he even got stoned and was killed and then brought back to life, right? It was a, it was a hard year or so in Galatia. Because remember, he stayed for at least three to five months in each city, planting those churches in Antioch and Iconium and, and Lystra and Derby. He stayed for quite a while. And then went back through and encouraged them all before they returned to Antioch. So we're, we're talking like over a year, year and a half or so. Suffered greatly for these churches. And so there could have been the disagreement. The reason why is he, he suffered so much and he didn't feel like John Mark, wanted, you know, he wanted him to go with them. Well, let's look at that. Like only Paul suffered in these cities. Because remember, scripture doesn't really tell us anything negative happening to Barnabas. It's probably just too nice. That's why it's probably why he's called the you know, son of encourager. Like, I've never been in a fight. I always say, like, I'm just, I guess I'm just too nice, or I just have one of those faces that people don't want to punch. You know, <laughs> I've never been punched in the face. You know. But Barnabas had, you know, A, a familial connection to John Mark, his cousin, and B, he had lived and worked alongside John Mark while in the church in Jerusalem. And so Barnabas had a very strong tie to John Mark, who he wanted to bring. But again, we're not really told why they had such a sharp disagreement. They, you know, just that they did. And so anything we really would assume would be conjecture. Right? But we might imagine that Paul was bitter because of the suffering he had, he had to endure. And John Mark didn't have to go through that labor. And this was more of a trip of joy. This was more of a trip of celebration over what God had been doing in those churches. This is like John, you know, how, you know, Paul going back and enjoying the fruit of his labor. Going back and, you know, because to, to these churches that they had, they had, you know, come into and uh, cultivated, and John Mark hadn't been a part of this cultivating, the, the seeding and the watering and the suffering for and the, the helping the churches grow so that he shouldn't enjoy the fruit of labor that he hadn't worked. Paul wanted to go back and encourage, but also to enjoy the fruit. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like the Bible says, the worker deserves his wages. However, we do know that either Paul didn't actually dislike John Mark in this situation, or at least that they had a reconciliation moment later because of how, how Paul talks about him later. He writes these things about him. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings as, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. He's writing this to the Colossian church. 
So Mark is now with him in, in, you know, when he's writing to the church of Colossae. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. Second Peter 4. This is the, in the very last letter that, that Paul wrote. Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Lucas, my co-workers. Talks about, talks about these when he's writing to Philemon. So Mark is with him in several instances. They, they do end up doing ministry together later on. They have a, either a reconciliation or their parting ways wasn't like a fight. They had a sharp disagreement. They parted ways and blessed one another to go. It could have been that. It could have been reconciliation. We don't really know, but we know that there is a respect and a work, a working for the kingdom of God, at least later after this, after this seemingly dramatic moment in the life of the church. Not quite as, as dramatic as Ananias and Sapphira, but we're not going to go there. So sending one another away with blessing. I like to think about it in that way. I want to believe that there wasn't necessarily hard feelings left at this parting. Of ways, but they, you know, that they had, you know, they had been fellow workers in the gospel since, I mean, you know, early on. I mean, look at you know, Acts chapter twelve, verse twenty-five says, after they had completed their relief mission, Paul and I mean, Barnabas and Saul returned to, to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. So after their trip to Jerusalem, and they returned to Antioch for several years, they did ministry together, and so this was a strong relationship. It's like they decided to do the work that they set out to do, but they went to the places where they had actually led the mission. Because if you remember anything about what we've talked about over the last several months, is that if the you know, name order, when there's two names put together, the first name is always the more prominent. The, the first name was the one who was leading. He was the leader. He or she was the leader in charge. The more prominent name for the more prominent position. So Paul and Barnabas... Sorry... Barnabas and Saul, remember, because Paul and Saul, same guy, just new name. So Barnabas and Saul went to Cyprus first. Went to Cyprus first. And they planted churches. And they then they sailed up to Galatia. And then the name order changed to Paul and Barnabas. So Barnabas led the mission in Cyprus. And Paul led the mission in Galatia. And you can see that that's where they went. Barnabas and Mark went to Cyprus because again, Barnabas was always named in the position of leader during the journey through Cyprus. And then Paul and Silas you know, skipped the island of Cyprus. If you look on, on the map on your, your sheet there, you'll see Paul's uh, journey. Paul, the, beginning, the beginning part of his journey, he doesn't sail at all. He just goes straight up into, into those regions of, uh, of Syria and, and Cilicia. And he goes through his hometown of Tarsus. He picks up his, his cloak or his journals and you know, other things he forgot. You know, goes through, you know, kisses his mom and says, says goodbye. Hi, bye. You know? And then he continues on through land, but he doesn't go back through Cyprus because he's entrusted and empowered and blessed Barnabas and Mark, John Mark, to go and do that ministry, that, that ministry. to go and encourage the churches that he was a part of, to go and enjoy the fruit of that labor that John Mark had joined them in. Like Paul, like Peter and Paul decided on different ministry focuses. Like Peter was going to be the, the guy to the Jews. And Paul was going to be the guy to the Gentiles. Same difference. Same, same kind of concept. So then Barnabas and Mark went back to Antioch. You know, God, but here's the cool thing. 
after they went to, to Cyprus, they went back to Antioch, where later on, as we'll discover in like another couple decades, Peter will leave Jerusalem and go up and become the, you know, the head of the church, will move from Jerusalem as the center of the church and move up to Antioch. Antioch will then become the center of the church. And from there, Peter will actually journey and go to Rome. And where, yeah, and, but, you know, so Peter is there. And Mark, John Mark, the guy we're talking about, becomes a disciple of Peter in Antioch. Studies under him, becomes very close to him, and he goes with Peter to Rome, where Peter is preaching and proclaiming the gospel to the Romans, where Mark writes his gospel. So the gospel of Mark is actually the gospel of Peter, written through Peter's disciple Mark. And that's why it's known as being the gospel that's written to the Romans. Everything is immediately, immediately. It has very Roman um, verbiage in the gospel message. And that's who this guy is. So maybe this is God using this disagreement to set Mark up for the powerful ministry and the calling that God has on John Mark's life. He's using what looks to be a bad circumstance. But again, the reminder that God turns things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He ends up being able to write one of the Gospels, the very first Gospel, in fact. Most, most scholars believe that Mark was the very first Gospel that was written. And this, you can even see Peter's relationship with him. He writes this, when he, and he writes his first letter. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Now, when you say it's my son, it usually, you know, that's where, how the way that they refer to their students, their, their disciples. So this shows that Peter took him under as this disciple. So the question I have for us this morning is what do we do when we have a sharp disagreement in the church today? What do we do? What do our sharp disagreements look like? Well, first thing, theological. Right? We're, we're talking, having this discussion you know, this earlier this week with, with Ben. You know, just that, that even the different doctrines and theologies and differences and wrestling, pe- people wrestling with different ologies. Right? You know, thinking about like salvation or end times or grace or the church. You know, the, the great big one, Arminianism versus Calvinism. Predestination versus free will. And the, and the clashing. Right? Philosophical struggles. O- arguments over, you know, Politics. Well, the two things you don't talk about at Thanksgiving. Religion, Religion and politics. <laughs> Which I think is stupid. <laughs> we, I feel like we have... This is a little, little aside. This one's for free. Um, <laughs> we've taught people how to disengage and how to just shut up and not make any ruffle any feathers versus how to listen and have a conversation about things that we differ upon and listen and understand and leave the table with a hug. Having good conversations that we might vehemently disagree about, but not being jerks about it and not like raging against each other as though each other were the enemy because of our ideologies and our philosophies. Even theological ones that might be really important to have such a vehement disagreement that you separate through fighting or argument or yelling and screaming, belittling and ad hominem attacking the person. That's stupid. 
and ungodly. So my question is, how can we come together at the table? We need, that's one thing I think that we need to learn. And, and maybe we just need as a church to do better. More so, we need to be. We need. I'm not not to say like we need to improve, but I'm saying like we need to be a part of the change in the culture that God wants to see. How can we at Shift Church, NC3, you know, be a part of changing the culture around having differences, sharp disagreements that end in blessing and understanding and understanding? Because there may be a lot more that we agree upon that we don't even realize. Or we can see their part and have compassion for that person. But always looking at people across the table with the lens of Jesus Christ. They are someone who God loves. They are someone who the cross saved. They are someone whose God's Holy Spirit is inside. So how can you curse a brother or sister? How can you hate someone you even just simply disagree with? We might even disagree like on, on church structure, poly, you know, po- practice and leadership, division, which causes division. Because oftentimes in the past, you know, when, when there's been sharp disagreements in the church over the last like, even 100 years, we bottle it up. Oh, I'm just going to push it down. I'm going to bury it. I'm going to you know, push it down as much as I can. Or I'm going to stew in it. I'm going to... Right, just... Grow bitter. And then maybe it might explode and we're going to throw a stink. Comes to a head. That's the last straw. And then we get divisive, whether by actually like getting angry, you know, speaking up and being very vocal in the church or in a business meeting. Or we like go behind the scenes and we like start to like rally people to our side, having conversations over here and dividing them from the, from the, church leadership from the pastor from the board from each other oh you still listen to that guy oh how can you how can you listen to that guy his hair's weird man have you seen his kids they're nuts and i just saw jackson got coffee i'm so sorry for the people downstairs oh it's just my wife it should be fine Or we get the leadership fired, rallying up together against, or we, or someone leaves the church. Like, I've had it. You're getting too fill in the blank for me. You disagree with this point. I'm out. I feel overwhelmed by this. By this. I'm, I'm done. I'm leaving the church. I'm going to go create Second Baptist Church down the street or go join the, the other group down the street. Well, they'll probably have a disagreement and end up doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Or ostracize themselves from the church. Christians, the evil organized religion. Those people are all hypocrites. They're mean. They're stupid. That church hurt me. Whenever I hear those words, there I, mean, I, I don't want to dismiss the because you know me. I've had I've had the church hurt, you know, as the cool kids say these days. I've had the places where I've had disagreements, where I've been hurt by people in in leadership, or by cultures. I've been a part of very toxic church cultures, leadership structures that are that are very ungodly. They're good in the corporate world. They're good at creating numbers, you know, butts and you know the butts and the bucks. 
You know, the butts in the seats and the bucks in the offering plate. They're really good at, and effective at the numbers. But you see this revolving door at, in, the, in their leadership behind the scenes. And people are leaving the church hurt and broken and upset. And they leave Christianity overall. I believe that the toxic, toxic culture, business structure culture of the church, treating the church and church ministry as a professional church you know, ministry, or not ministry, but job, with CEOs, CFOs, and the bottom line, has created a church culture that is creating a vacuum and a, and a, and a, and a, and a black hole where people are just getting spat out hurt, abused, and it is, it is detriment to the church in America. It is creating a culture that hates the church and in turn hates God. If, you're, if the church culture creates people that hate God, you're doing it wrong. Now, I under, fully understand when we have disagreements with people in the church, where oftentimes the people will say, oh, that church hurt me. I'll say, tell me, what's their name? What's his name? What's her name? It's usually a person associated with the church organization that gets wrapped up into the name of the church. And trust me, guys, I've been there. And God kept saying to me, kept saying to me, I had given up on the church. Like I said, my testimony is, I, I was like, I was done. I didn't want anything to do with the church. I was going to just go and try to do home church. And, but then I went to some home churches and it was all just simply about people coming together to moan and groan about the organized, organized church. That's all it was. I was like, okay, this isn't really happy either. <laughs> this isn't really what Jesus wants either. And so that's why God called me back to the mission. He's like, no, 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 Alan, go back and be a part of the, ch- the change, the shift that I want to see in the church. God has a vision for his church. God has not given up on his bride. That's why she's still there in Revelation at the end time. She's still there at the end. Because God still loves his church. And so how do we reach out to the ones who created, who, who the church created to be atheists or agnostics? How do we reach out to the spiritual orphans? How do we be a church that welcomes in the ones that the church has created into spiritists and pagans to receive them back to the true God, back to the true way, truth, and life? Rather than all these things that we just discussed, rather than seeing the bad way that the church has created, the culture of corporate America church, CEO Church or Church Inc. How do we operate through that, remember, loving one another mentality? Like I always, I always like to say, Shift Church, we are here to take the one another passages of Scripture seriously. The over 100 times in just the New Testament alone, it says one another. That's not counting one to another, or each to the other, or each other, all the other passages. There's well over hundreds of those. You cannot read the the New Testament without seeing the one another, 
without seeing that the church is a community of people who love, serve one another. Discussing, connecting, relating to seek and really understand. Giving people love and grace. Not just simply agreeing to disagree, but understanding how to come together in relationship even though there's disagreement. Not just agreeing that we will have disagreement here, but loving the person. Staying in unity, not just simply trying to see the church as a place where everyone has to be uniform. We're not going to be the same. We're not going to think the same. We're not going to have the same opinions. And this is coming from a very opinionated guy. So how can we, even in the midst of like having those, like I said at the beginning, like there are times when we just simply need to separate. Where we understand that this is just a, I want to send you away with blessing or I want to take up, I want to bow out with blessing. One of my favorite stories, favorite, you know, recent stories um, was there are some folks that were going to another church in town and they were really sensing a call to go back to a church that they had been at before. And that they felt like God was releasing them because they'd stayed at that church for a long time and they, they felt like God had not released them yet. But then after several years, they felt like God was finally releasing them to go back and actually sending them to go and do ministry at their former church. And the pastor of that church, he got up and he brought them up to the front and they flogged them with the... Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. No, they brought them up to the front and they gathered around them and they laid hands on them and they prayed over them and they blessed them and sent them away and everyone was in tears. And the new church received, or their, their old church received them back with great joy and celebration. But there, and there's still relationship there. Still love and family between the two churches. That's what God loves to see. That's what God loves to see. Separating with blessing. Separating with love and grace. I love this passage. This is Paul's heart. This is God's heart here. Therefore, as God's chosen ones. Listen to these words. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly beloved. That's where love starts in the church. That's where the culture of the church is established. When we recognize and believe that you, that I, we are what? God's chosen ones, that we are God's holy and dearly beloved ones. That's how we can first and foremost do everything that God desires of us in the church. Because these two churches believe that they were God's chosen, holy and dearly beloved ones, that's why the love and the blessing and the peace and the grace happened. Because that's what was on the first forefront of their minds. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with, putting up with, put up with one another. Love of the NIV says that. And forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and and admonishing 
one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I love that songs and music in the churches to bless one another, which we were blessed this morning. Thank you guys so much. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Love one another. Put up with one another. <laughs> put up with one another in love. I love how he says that. Put, put up with one another. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Endure one another. Live in harmony with one another. I love that passage from Romans chapter 15. It says, now, now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus. <clears throat> so how do we engage in relationships in the church? Like I said, that last line there in, in the passage before, do all things for the glory of God and the flourishing of the church. Because you know that the flourishing of the church does bring glory to God. The disunity and division and malice and infighting in the church brings no glory to God. It might bring glory to Lucifer. Satan, the devil. Makes him real happy. But love for one another. Flourishing in the church. Flourishing in relationships. Even in the midst of disagreements. Gives glory to God. When God's church flourishes, that brings glory to God. Remain and remain well. Leave and, and leave well if need be. Because we need, this is we need, we need loving and learning, leaving one another in the midst of disagreement and detachment. Now, because the question is, I was, we kind of toy with this question. Is there, are there going to be disagreements and, con- and conflicts in heaven? Yeah? Yeah. Someone wants to go to McDonald's, the other person wants to go to Taco Bell. You know, or whatever versions of that is in, are in heaven, right? Let's go to these mountains. Well, let's go to these mountains. But at that point, we're going to have, we're going to learn how to, we're going to know and be able to resolve these things through peace and through love. Okay, I bless you. You go, go that way. We'll see you next week. And not be bitter and angry and upset. Right? We're going to be able to send and welcome one another and see each other again. We got all eternity. <laughs> you can go to the, those mountains this week. I really want to go this week to this, these ones over here. Right? But we're, there may be conflict and, di- and differences of opinion in heaven, in eternity. But we will know how to live them and love the, each other perfectly in heaven. And that's the way God desires to do it here in the church. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait to not get bitter and angry and upset and have, and have bad results and of malice and infighting in the church when there's differences of opinion, when there's differences and conflict, disagreement and, and detachment. We can learn to love and learn to do these things well together now. That's why, we're, that's why the church exists, to be the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so as we wrap our, our time up here this morning, I want to encourage us with those words that God loves his church. 
And God is glorified when the church lives in harmony, when the church lives and flourishes, when we love one another. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your spirit. And we thank you that we are your kingdom. We are your people. We are the presence of your kingdom, heaven on earth. And so, Lord, we do, we pray that your, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give yourself glory, Lord, by flourishing your church, by connecting us through the bonds of love and grace. Show us, Lord Jesus. Help us to practice the love of Christ. Help us to walk by the Spirit. Lord, help us to speak the words of Christ one to another so that we, we may glorify, that you may be glorified, so we may be encouraged. And as your word says in Ephesians 4, that, Lord, that your church would build itself up in love. Glorify yourself at Shift Church. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.